there's a danger when it comes to the Bible, and that's that if you, you want to, you can make the Bible say and fit whatever you want to. Just pick different verses, piece them together, and uh, don't make context a priority at all. And you can pretty much come away with whatever message, whatever application you want. That's the danger. Uh, let me give you some examples of just how easy this would be to do. Uh, here's one for you parents, okay? Every, everybody that's a parent, uh, here's one that you can use. Again, context, not important, okay? Uh, here's, parents, you can use this when your kids keep asking you, how much longer they have to do their chores around the house, okay? You've never heard that before, I know, parents. How long do we have to keep working? How long do we have to do this? Isaiah 6.11, then I said, until when, Lord? And he replied, until cities lie in ruins without inhabitants, houses are without people, and the land is ruined and desolate. How about this one? Are you tired of that obnoxious neighbor calling out to you first thing in the morning when you let your dog out or you get the morning paper and they're just ridiculously cheery, it's disgusting, you know, and they, hey, neighbor, good morning, all that stuff. Proverbs twenty-seven fourteen. If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. And for you uh, Santa enthusiasts out there trying to show from the Bible that Santa really does exist, and with this you have to use the King James Version, only version that will work, okay? Zechariah 2.6, ho, ho, come forth and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord, for I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heaven, saith the Lord. So, yes, there you have it. And there's so many more. There's so many more examples of that. And what, what I mean by providing you those examples is to point out something very important that we need to understand as we look into God's Word, as we study it, as we seek to proclaim it. If we take Scripture out of context, we'll miss the meaning and make it mean something that God never meant. That's the danger. And that's what happens, unfortunately, so many times in so many different uh, Christians' lives and churches. It's, it's really at an epidemic level, taking Scripture out of context. And, and every time we do that, that's what happens. When we take Scripture out of context, we're going to miss the original and intended meaning the meaning that the, the original author had and that God had through that original author. We're going to miss the meaning entirely, and we will inevitably make it mean something that God never meant. We don't want to do that. We want to stay away from that. God's Word, here's another thing I want you to make sure you understand and, and do apply. God's Word is meant to be applied to our lives. It absolutely is. God's Word is for us. It's meant to be applied to our lives, but it's not, not meant to be applied however we want. We don't get our own personal green light on how to apply God's Word at, at our every whim. We want to make it fit this. We want to apply it to this situation and this circumstance very, very specifically. We don't get that luxury. We don't have that freedom. 
God's Word is meant to be applied to our lives, and it should be applied to our lives, but it's not meant to be applied however we want. And what that means is this. Knowing the context, then, is key to knowing what Scripture really means and how it's meant to be applied. It's all about context. Context, context, context. Context is key to knowing what Scripture really means and how it's meant to be applied. That's why I believe this series that we're starting today is so incredibly important. And to start us off, we're going to look at Psalm 37.4 and John 14.13 and 14 as our first examples of Scripture that people frequently take and use out of context. Throughout this series, we're going to be looking at some very specific passages of Scripture that unfortunately commonly get taken completely out of context, misapplied, and as a result, much, much damage has been done throughout the body of Christ. We want to avoid that. So we're going to be looking at different scriptures that are very familiar, and unfortunately, what makes them familiar a lot of the times is that they are mutilated, they are twisted, they are taken out of context. Psalm 37.4 says this. We're going to go through these uh, first two, these these passages quickly at first, and then we'll go back and look at them in a more in-depth way, okay? Psalm 37.4, this is from the ESV, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. John 14, 13 and 14. This is from the CSB. Jesus speaking. And he says, Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And so these verses, these, these two passages, along with many others, are favorites among a certain theological camp, among a certain group, among a certain movement and a philosophy, commonly referred to as either the name it, claim it, or the prosperity, quote, gospel crowd. Favorite passages for, for that line of thinking. Want a new car? New house? New job? Need more money? More clothes? More status? No problem! No problem! They love, love these verses and many others like them to to twist and manipulate and pick and choose and take out of context and apply to their own preference, their own opinion, and their own agenda. They take these verses totally out of context. They twist their application to say and teach that God wants most of all for us to prosper financially and to be as comfortable in this life as possible. That's God's will. They say that a Christian who struggles financially is actually lacking faith and walking in sin and in need of rebuke from the Lord so that they can repent and unlock their true potential and all the blessing and prosperity that God has for them as his children. After all, the prosperity gospel teaches and the name it, claim it crowd promotes to be born again is to be born into the blessing and favor of God and the windows of heaven are supposed to be open and pour out all prosperity and wellness on your life. 
And to do anything other, to walk and live in a, in a manner other than that, is to neglect and reject the blessing God has for you and to not believe as you should. So, let's, let's cleanse our minds with the truth of God's Word. And let's focus on what Psalm 37.4 really means. Psalm 37.4. We'll go through this piece by piece, okay? Psalm 37.4, and again, this is from the ESV. Delight yourself. Delight. That word delight, uh, there's a lot wrapped up in that. As you would imagine, joy uh, is certainly one of those things. That's what it means to delight, to joy, to find joy. So joy, but it, it goes deeper than just joy. And joy, by the way, that's not just feeling happy. Joy is an abiding contentment. Joy is... Uh, an anchor, that no matter what happens in circumstances and situations, no matter what happens from an emotional standpoint, uh, you don't go up and down with all those changing variables. There's an anchor, and you're anchored in your joy and your contentment, uh, and it doesn't depend on happiness, which is an emotional state. But joy is certainly part of that. Fulfillment, satisfaction, contentment, Uh, not needing anything else. When you delight in someone or something, you're you're fulfilled. You're filled up. So fulfillment. And then also what's contained in this word is comfort, which we all want, we all look for, we all uh, feel a need for to be comforted, especially when things aren't going great. So delight, joy, fulfillment, comfort, or you could, you could add peace even to that. It's all wrapped up in this word delight. Delight yourself in what or in whom? In the Lord. That's Yahweh, God, the Almighty God. Look no further, David is saying. Look no further. Delight yourself not in, in circumstances being what they need to be or what you think they need to be. Delight yourself not in, in other people that can let you down and are as, as uh, fleeting as, as the wind coming and going and weather changing. Delight yourself rather in the Lord, the constant, the constant one, the only constant one there is, the one who is perfect in all of his ways. So this is instructing us to look to the very character of God. Who is He? What has He shown Himself to be throughout our lives, throughout history? We see over and over again a pattern of God in His Word that He is always faithful, always good, always loving, but also He is always just, always holy, always righteous, so it's, it's looking to God and seeing all that He is, all that, that He alone provides, and choosing. This is an intentional thing. This does not just happen automatically. This is choosing, I will delight myself. I will find joy. I will find fulfillment. I will find purpose and meaning. I will find comfort and, and all that I need. I will look to God for that. And I will find in Him all that I need. It's a choice. Knowing that He alone can provide what I truly need. And that He alone, because He is perfectly wise and perfectly good, as a perfect Father would, it means He will not provide what He in His perfect wisdom knows would be harmful for me in some way. My son especially would love nothing more 
than to have dinners consisting of dessert and only dessert. He has a mouthful of sweet teeth, not just a sweet tooth. And if we let him, he would go crazy with all that. That's all he would ever do. And sometimes, you know, when we say no, no more of whatever it is he's asking, he gives us that look like, oh, you, you don't love me. And of course, we explain it's because we love you. We're saying no to you right now. You may really, really want that whatever it is, but we're saying no to you in love because we know that's not what you need. Our Father does infinitely more than that, church. Isn't that great that He loves us enough to say no? That He loves us enough to withhold what we see as a blessing, but what He knows would be a curse? That's our God. And so, delighting ourselves in the Lord doesn't mean I delight myself in the Lord knowing that He will just give me whatever my, my little old heart desires. No, it's I delight myself in the Lord knowing that He alone can give me what I truly need and that because He is perfectly wise and perfectly good and loving, He will withhold from me things even when I really want them because He knows I don't need them. Delight yourself in the Lord. If we do that, here's the promise. Or as we do that, here's the promise. And He will give you the desires of your heart. Here's what that can't mean. That cannot mean our natural human heart. Or our natural carnal fleshly desires. Our wanting the Ferrari. Our wanting the the big mansion. Our wanting more stuff are wanting more status. That cannot be what this means. Why? Because here's what Jeremiah 17.9 says. And, and by the way, good Bible study always uses the Bible to speak for itself. Good Bible study always uses Scripture to interpret Scripture. You don't go into Scripture trying to draw out things that suit your own uh, preference and, and opinions and selfish desires. You go without anything to the Bible and let it speak for itself and you apply what it says. Jeremiah 17.9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Your translation might say desperately wicked. That works too. Sick with wickedness. Who can understand it? You know, we we know a lot about the physical heart. We've come a long way with medical science and we can do amazing things with our, our hearts. But we're never going to be able to fathom the depths of depravity that exist in the human heart. It's beyond our understanding. It's that wicked. So, God, in His perfection... And all that He is and all that He wants for us cannot mean, hey, I will just give you whatever your sinful, fleshly, human heart desires because I love you that much. So then, what is Psalm 37 for saying? What's actually being promised? You know, couples that have been together a long time, as they get to know each other more, they spend more time together, you know what happens? They become like each other. It's it's what happens. Like It's just a part of the process. The longer you're together, the longer you are invested, the longer you spend time together, you get to know each other, the, the, the more rich that relationship is, the two become a lot like one another. And it happens mutually. And 
That's what Psalm 37, 4 is really about. And that's what the condition of this promise is really about. About Psalm 37, 4, James Montgomery Boyce, which was a very well-known scholar, theologian, pastor. He pastored 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He's with the Lord, has been for several years now. He contributed so much, and his work continues to be a great source of of, uh, encouragement. James Montgomery Boyce about this passage said this, The reason many apparent Christians do not delight in God is that they do not know Him very well. And the reason they do not know Him very well is that they do not spend time with Him. We do that. We spend time with God through time in His Word through time and conversation. That's what prayer is. It's this incredible, sacred, divine conversation that we are so privileged to have. I mean, think about that. Almighty God and all of His attributes and character, which I just skimmed the surface of earlier, wants to actually converse with you and me and has made the means possible to do it. It's conversation. And prayer is is an ongoing, it's a continual conversation. It's not just something you do at mealtime, or you shouldn't just do it then. It's not just something we do when we're gathered here at church. Prayer, Christian, is an ongoing conversation with your Father, and with your Savior, with your Comforter. It's it's an ongoing thing. It's perpetual. It's all through the day having this this open line of, of conversation and communication as you go through your day and your life. And it is set aside deliberate, very specific times of pointed prayer. Certainly it's that, but it encompasses all that. It encompasses all that. So we spend time with God through His Word in that ongoing conversation of prayer, in worship, both private and corporate, public, and in fellowship, just fellowshipping with God, soaking up the presence of God that is always with us through His Spirit, being saturated by Him in all that we do, spending time with Him. That's what Psalm 37.4 is really about. It means as I develop in my relationship with God, as I walk with Him in life, as I know Him better, as I give Him more of myself, here's what happens. My desires become His desires. My heart, selfish and sinful as it is, starts getting changed more and more and more to beat with His heart. My heart becomes more like His heart. So the longer we walk with God, the more we know Him through His Word, through prayer, the more we are changed by Him, we become more like Him. And what He desires, we start to desire. What moves His heart starts to move our heart. And guess what? When that happens, as we are praying with God and and we are are being tuned in to, to what He wants and what He is like, then of course... God will give us the desires of our heart. Why? Because it's what He desires too. Isn't that great? That's the good, the good news of this passage. That's the promise that we certainly can and should claim. That as we become more like God, as we are conformed 
to his desires, as, as our heart is changed to be like his heart, then yes, absolutely, let's cry out to him and see and expect that he will give us the desires of our heart. Not because they're our own selfish, sinful, human desires, but because they are in line with what he desires. And that's what we should all aspire to. Well, the other passage, let's see what this really means. John 14, 13 through 14. This is, man, this is a big time favorite of the name it and claim it crowd. Big time passage they go to all the time. John 14, 13, and 14. And this is from the CSB. Verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Remember, I said context is key, right? Context is key to really knowing what Scripture says and how it should be applied. Well, the context around this passage and this promise, it's all about Christ's work and kingdom continuing and growing on earth through his disciples. Because he was literally, physically, returning back to his Father. This was right before the cross, and he's giving last instructions to his disciples. And he's promising that though I go away, I will give you another comforter. He will lead you in all truth. And the work that I have begun here, you're going to take that work and you're going to do even greater work. It didn't mean greater in quality, greater in quantity. He's saying because the Holy Spirit is going to come and indwell all of you physically. And so the the work, the kingdom that I have begun is going to be able to, to go forward even greater. It's going to go forward. And with that, with that, if you as you're going about my work and as you're going about building my kingdom through the power of the Spirit which I give you, as you pray and ask God for the help you need, as you're being used by me, then yes, whatever you ask in that way, in that light, will be given to you. See, the work of God, kingdom work, the the work that Christ has called us all to do as his followers, it's never done by us. I mean, you know that, right? It's never done by us. Anything done worthwhile for the kingdom, it's not done by us. The power is always from God. The power to live for God, the power to be used by God, it's always from God. It's granted to us and it's done through us, but it's always by him. Amen? You agree? It's always done by Him. It's always for His glory and the glory of His Son. That's the reason this promise is made. It's not to increase our bank accounts or our stock portfolios. That's not what's being promised here. And that's not why it's being promised. It's all about the work of God for the glory of God. And as that's being done, and as as we cry out to God for the power we need to do that, then yes, whatever we ask under that umbrella, then He will, of course, grant for His glory. There's another key statement here, a key phrase. In my name. In my name, Jesus said. It actually comes out twice in this passage. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Then if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it in my name. 
that's not just some tradition that we have to tack on at the end of our prayer. You know, we pray whatever we're praying in Jesus' name, right? It's not just something we close our prayers with, and it's not just some magic formula or some blank cosmic check that gets written to us when we say in Jesus' name because of our great faith. After all, Jesus is not a genie. Let's keep that in mind, okay? Not a genie. So, what does this mean? When we pray and ask anything in Jesus' name, it should be a recognition of His character and His merit. Who He is, what He's done, His merit, His standing before God. And we need to recognize that because of His character and His merit, that's the only way we can ask anything or have any access to the divine. The very fact that we can go before the throne of grace and find help in our time of need. Listen, Christian, it's not because you're that good. It's not because of what you bring to the table and what you contribute. The only way we have access to the divine, anything, is because of the Son of God, our great mediator, our intercessor. It's also submitting to His authority and His perfect sovereign will. When we say or ask anything in Jesus' name, it's recognizing His authority over every part of our lives, and it's submitting to that authority. It's recognizing His perfect sovereign will in all things, over all things, and it's us submitting to that perfect sovereign will, even when it's not what we would naturally want. How do I know that that's what is meant by all of this and this promise in this passage? Again, using Scripture to speak to Scripture. 1 John 5, 14-15. This is also from the ESV. 1 John 5, 14-15. The Word of God says this, And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything, don't miss this, according to His will. He hears us. So this is the confidence. The name it, claim it, crowd and thinking, it's all about confidence. Remember who and what you are and stand in that and in that power and in the authority that is yours, claim what you need and what you want. Well, this says, yeah, we do have confidence. Absolutely we do. But this is the confidence that we have toward Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And then verse 15, and and verse 15 is because of what is said in verse 14. Verse 15, and what is said here, is dependent on us doing what verse 14 said. Asking according to His will. Keep that in mind. Verse 15, And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, which happens as we ask according to His will, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. You see how that works together? You see that? That's the confidence. If, if we are asking and praying according to His will, we know He hears, we know He will respond, we know that we have what we ask if we ask in line with His perfect sovereign will. That means we should not expect 
that if we are asking and praying for something that is clearly outside of His will, that we should have it or get it, or that we should expect God to incline in that way. And how do we know His will? Where do we find that? Guess what? In His goodness, in His grace, He has made it very clear by giving it to us in His Word. He has made His general will known to every believer in His Word. We don't have to really guess or wonder, what is God's will for my life? Because His his general will has already been revealed through the pages of His Word, cover to cover. Know His Word, know His will. So, here's what all this means. Here's how all this comes down to us. Christian, God wants us to have far more than just financial prosperity. He wants us to have far, far more than something as fleeting and as fickle as financial prosperity or physical well-being. doesn't mean God just is sitting up there like, oh, I want to give them poverty and destitution and disease. (laughs) It's not it. God's not some cosmic killjoy. But he wants us to have far more than something that limited and temporary. He wants us to find our joy and our fulfillment and our purpose, all of which we want too. He wants us to find those things in him. And he wants us to have his heart and his desires. Jesus wants us to be instruments through which his work and his kingdom, not ours, not our own personal empire or our personal agenda are carried out. He wants to use us to bring about his work and his kingdom, to grow that to the glory of his father, not to our glory. And listen, when that's what we want, when those are the things we want, when that's what we pray for, then we're in line with God's will. And He is more than willing to grant our requests. That's what these passages are actually about. That's what they're really promising. And that's what you can absolutely claim and apply to your life. And may we do so. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word your true and genuine word. Thank you for making it clear. Thank you for making it always relevant. And thank you for the power of your spirit to apply it as it should be applied. May we yield to his work. May we not come to your word to try to make it fit what we want it to be. May we come to it without any preconceived notion or agenda. May we come to it bare and receive exactly what is said and apply it exactly as you intended it to be applied. And may all we do and say, may all that we're about be all about your glory, your purpose, 
and in line with your will. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.